Thank you for sharing that. We're going to kind of talk about Christmas and memories and, and challenges as well these next few weeks. And um, as I was planning uh, for the holidays a um, month or more back, um, I kept coming back to the amazing life change um, that I encounter um, pretty much every week around Lighthouse Church. And I kept coming back um, to the amazing work that goes on around here as well. Um, I want you to know that I and we have been blessed with an excellent staff here. Um, Many people who work with some of the state programs I mentioned earlier um, have had significant life change themselves. Uh, Some of them are young, at least in my view they're very young and are growing in faith in substantial ways and, and service as they contemplate what God is leading them to in the future. And so I decided to use kind of this holiday season to have you meet some of them and hear a little bit from them what this season of Christmas means to them. My hope is that they will help us all wrestle with the joy and sometimes the struggles of the holiday season. And I know that um, for most of us here, it probably has both. On Christmas Day, I'm going to wrap up this holiday series myself. And over these next few weeks, um, there are going to now then be four of us who are going to talk about what the holidays meant to us when we were growing up, Um, What brought us here to this place um, in this time of our life? You know, I learned a long time ago that everybody has a story, but at Lighthouse, everybody has a story, right? And um, what does this season of Christmas mean to us now? And my hope is that as you hear from a few of these young people on our staff that it might help you kind of wrestle Um, with a little bit of the meaning of what this season means. So I'm not even going to spend time introducing them. He's going to do that briefly himself. But today I'm going to call on Aaron Fowler. Uh, Aaron Fowler. Aaron French. Somebody was just telling me about Aaron Fowler earlier. A lot of people here don't even know who Aaron Fowler was, so it doesn't (laughs) even matter. Aaron French. And... uh, I do know your last name, by the way. And I want you to know that um, Aaron and Tony and Claire, who are going to be sharing in the next few weeks, um, this is a little stressful for them, um, what I've asked them to do. So everybody smile at Aaron nicely and make him feel welcome and appreciated. All right. Thank you, Dale. Good morning, everyone. My name is Aaron. I'm an addict and alcoholic. I work as a peer support here at Lighthouse Church. Um, And it's a a privilege to be able to do that here. Uh, Really what my my job encompasses is uh, we work with several programs in the state that are geared uh, geared towards helping people break down barriers in their life. Uh, A lot of these people are coming straight out of incarceration. Uh, A lot of these people are dealing with chronic homelessness or chronic addiction issues. And um, really my goal in this job is to 
try to do my best to be the person that in what, at one point in my life I really needed. And I get the privilege to do that here. And I'm very thankful for it. Um, now, I'm supposed to talk to you about Christmas. So, uh, a little bit about Christmas growing up. Uh, my family would, uh, every Christmas Eve, go to my grandmother's house in Felton, Minnesota. Um, her house was always decorated from top to bottom, uh, inside and out. Um, I cannot possibly state to you what it was actually like, what it is actually like. Um, just an example is uh, uh, she actually earned, uh, for quite a while, she earned the nickname of, uh, her home earned the nickname of the Felton Airport <laughs> because, of, because of the amount of lights. And um, putting those lights up was so much work. Um, miles and miles of extension cords, um, a minimum, uh, minimum safety standard of one fire hazard about every 15 feet. <laughs> and, uh, it was, it was a lot of work to, to, to put all that together and get it all up. But we did it as a family on most years. And then we all hit out when it was time to take it all down. <laughs> um... See, uh, my grandmother's a very, very important part of what Christmas was like as a child. Um, she really was the glue that held my dysfunctional family together around that time. Um, she can't be here today because she, she had a little accident and uh, she's currently in Essentia Hospital recovering, making a fantastic recovery. And she's watching right now. Turn around to the camera and wave, please. We love you, Grandma. But she, she acted as, a, as the glue in our family around the holidays. Um, we were dysfunctional, as I said. Uh, a, lot of, a lot of fighting in our household, a lot of unbridled anger, things like that. But... When it came to Christmas Eve going to Grandma's house, we were always on our best behavior. And that was because we knew how much this season means to her. And she gave us the best presents. <laughs> um, I mean, the best presents. New, new winter jackets, hats and gloves, board games, gift cards so we could go buy our own clothes. That's what those gift cards were strictly for, even though we didn't always follow that. And um, <clears throat> on Christmas Day, uh, my brother, my sister, and myself would open presents from each other at our family home. And uh, we'd also get the gifts that our parents had provided. My favorite part of Christmas as a child was presents. And by a show of hands, is there anybody who is willing to admit that their favorite part of Christmas is giving and receiving presents? You don't have to lie because you're in church. I was, I, I, it's, always, it's always been something that I really enjoy, giving and receiving presents. Um, so much so that I was, I was one of those kids that would gather things around the house to give to people for Christmas. 
And uh, that might sound cute and endearing, but I promise you, I promise you that it was not. Um, If you can picture this, you're my mother, and you've been given a present. The gift wrap is made up of old magazine pages, and it's all crudely taped together with a bunch of electrical tape. And after struggling with it and being able to eventually tear it all apart and get to the gift inside, you realize that it is a stuffed animal, a filthy, dirty stuffed animal that you gave me two years earlier. (laughs) And now you have to muster up a sincere reaction or else you'll crush your emotionally fragile youngest child's heart. That woman dealt with a lot. As for receiving presents from my family, um, I grew up in a family that was not wealthy. Um, I have memories, very fond memories actually, of standing in line at the Salvation Army as a child to pick up presents that had been donated for families in need. And that was so cool to walk up, like stand in line, walk up, and get to the front of line and be given presents with your name on them, pre-wrapped and ready to go. I will always, always cherish the thought of those people in donating those presents. In those those boxes, we usually got small toys and candy. One year, I got a copy of... (laughs) Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for PlayStation 1. That was an incredible year. That was a great, that was a good gift year. And even though some years were scarce, and sometimes those were the only presents that we got from our direct family, we were so thankful for them. As we got older, and my dad became more established, we didn't have to go to those gift drives anymore. Our, what our gift-giving tradition eventually kind of, kind of turned into was that my dad would take my sister, my brother, and myself to a store of our choice. He'd hand us a $100 bill, and he would just set us loose. And we'd be able to use that money to get presents for all the direct members of our family. He had been sober for a while at the time when that tradition started, and he's still sober to this day, 21 years later. Um, I felt the need to mention that because I don't know if he really understands that we recognize all of that effort and we are very proud of him. Now, as Dale said, we all have a story and um, here's a, here's a, I, I decided to, to really tell you about what my holidays were like while I was in active addiction. Um, in my late teens, I began to experiment with drugs. And by my early 20s, I had an on-again, off-again relationship with heroin. That on-again, off-again relationship lasted about 
eight years. Throughout that entire time, I maintained a daily drinking habit. And towards the end of that time, I developed an... <laughs> I've been trying to think of the right word to describe it, but financially devastating is probably a good way to the best way to describe my cocaine issue. Um, so much so that I, I'm still working, working back to recover from that. In those eight years, I did a lot of damage to my life and to the lives of those around me. My familial, rela familial relationships are what suffered the most. There were years where I showed up on Christmas completely empty-handed, usually because I had drank or smoked up all of my funds. And when I did show up with gifts, it wasn't because I was doing well or doing better. It was usually because I had a well-timed paycheck and the guilt got to me before I could spend it. For most people, that would have been very embarrassing. And it's hard for me to admit that at the time, I hardly noticed. Because even though I showed up and I was physically present, my mental presence was elsewhere. And when I did show up, I was always intoxicated saying and doing things that to this day I still regret. And then I would usually eat, get my presents, and leave all within an hour or two because I had other things to do, other things that were more important to me at the time. And that thing was slowly killing myself with alcohol and whatever other substances I came across. My Christmas Eve uh, and Christmas evenings were almost always spent uh, doing a run of the bars in Moorhead because inconveniently the bars in Fargo were closed. And uh, so Vicks, Mix, Billiards, J.C. Chumleys, and O'Leary's were where I spent all of those evenings, usually by myself until maybe I'd run across a friend that I hadn't yet alienated out of my life. And even though I couldn't afford gifts, I could always somehow afford to go out and get wasted on those evenings. My family had no idea what was actually going on with me. Aside from the fact that it was very obvious that I liked to drink. And that was just because I drank so much that it was impossible to, physically impossible to hide it. I hid those vi my other vices very well and I kept those secrets close and that helped me keep this cycle going. At this time in my life, I can tell you that God was not on my radar. And at the time, I assumed that I was also not on his. 
I was caught in a cycle of addiction and self-hatred, and I had fully convinced myself that that was what I deserved and where I deserved to be. In late June of 2020, I made a decision that would change the trajectory of my life. I went to my dad, and for the first time ever, I told him the truth. I told him the, the extent of my drinking. I told him about my drug use. I told him about my mental health struggles. I told him everything. And I asked him to help me. He didn't know what to do with me. (laughs) So he called a friend of his from the program and they came up with an answer that would change my life. They brought me to the House of Hope, which is just down the street from here. And two people there, Pastor Dale and Mark Ostgarden, took an hour out of their day. And they listened to me and shared resources. They also told me about, about all, of these, all of these meetings that they have on a day-to-day basis here at Lighthouse. <clears throat> and they gave me a bulletin with a list of all the weekly meetings that they, they host here. Before I left, they shared a prayer with me. And I didn't know at the time, but that prayer was the start of a big change for me. My father and I, On that day, we left the House of Hope and went to check out some of the resources that were shared with us. I wanted so badly to go to treatment, but due to COVID at the time, I could not get a foot in the door at a single facility in the entire state. I felt like I was hardly hanging on. And after three days of detoxing in my parents' house, they would not let me leave. (laughs) After three days of detoxing, I realized that that three days was the longest amount of time that I had spent sober in at least five years. On that day, I decided to go to my first meeting at Lighthouse, and I found something that I was in serious need of. I did not know at the time what exactly that was, but it was something that I needed and wanted. I could always count on coming here to Lighthouse and getting a push in the right direction, no matter where I was at mentally, which in the first few months varied greatly. It was a really gross experience for everybody else who was in those rooms. Um, attendees of the anonymous meetings and the mental health support groups here at Lighthouse, the staff at the church and just members of the church in general all played a hand in me being here today. I found all of the things in those meetings that I never knew that I needed. I found acceptance. I found healing. And at Lighthouse, I found God's people doing God's work. I found people that could hold me accountable, whether I liked it or not. People that were genuinely, genuinely invested in helping me become a better person. Lighthouse gave me a venue to rebuild the framework of my mind, morals, and spirit. 
That day my father brought me to the House of Hope was the first time that the presence of God was ever made apparent to me. That day was 891 days ago, and I have been sober since. Now, uh, we are in church, so we're going to talk about the Bible a little bit. Dale told me I had to. <laughs> and he also helped me, helped me find uh, some scripture to go along with what I wanted to talk about today. As I stated before, I was often there physically, but mentally I was not. My mental presence was so far gone that my physical presence was suffering and I did not realize it. Your physical presence will struggle without that mental presence to back it up. Don't let it slip too far like I did. It took me a long time to dig up some semblance of worth within myself after doing that. And it's thanks to Dale and everyone here at Lighthouse Church that I was able to do that. Now, if you would please open your Bibles to Colossians 1. We're going to start at verse 19. All right. That is page 1532 in the Recovery Bibles or 987 in the Church Bibles. Verse 19. For God, in all his fullness, was pleased to live in Christ. And through him, God reconciled everything to himself. He made peace with everything in heaven and on earth by means of Christ's blood on the cross. This includes you, who were once far away from God. You were his enemies, separated from him by your own evil thoughts and actions. Yet now he has reconciled you to himself through the death of Christ in his physical body. As a result, he has brought you into his own presence. And you are holy and blameless as you stand before him without single fault. I relate that passage a lot, and I thought that there were people here that would also relate to that passage. The time of my life that I just described to you, um, I was very far from God. I was separated from everything that I love due to my own thoughts and actions. But here we are now, together, sharing that presence and reconciled before him. We all come here taking different paths. Some of those paths are long and grueling. Some of those, path, some of those paths are short but jarring. And if you are here today, I would assume that faith plays a role in your journey. Some of us have held tightly to our faith since childhood some of us have drifted from it, come back to it. Some of us lost it along the way in trauma that we found on that journey. 
And some of us have just flat out never been shown that presence. I fall into the latter category. Before I started coming to Lighthouse Church, I never had a sense of God's presence. There are a lot of people like me in this church that are new to this and working or, or working on finding that faith again. It's a beautiful thing that we get this opportunity here at Lighthouse to clean up our lives and if we choose to, to grow in our faith. To experience God's grace and to witness that happen in other people. It really is a gift. Paul also stresses in this, in this, uh, oh, I should tell you what this is about, I guess. Uh, Colossians was written by Paul uh, while he was imprisoned by the Roman Emperor Nero. Paul wrote this letter to the church of Colossae because he had uh, gotten word that the Colossians had begun to waver in their faith. They were now vulnerable to deception about their own faith. Misleading theological ideas were, were being thrown around and the confusion was leading people to make poor decisions. Paul cared enough for the Colossians and for their faith, their salvation, that from prison he penned this letter to them to let them know that there was forgiveness for their confusion, for that wavering in their faith. In verse 23, but you must continue, but you must continue to believe this truth and stand firmly in it. Do not drift away from the, insur- the assurance you received when you heard the good news. The good news has been preached all over the world, and I, Paul, have been appointed as God's servant to proclaim it. That is a heavy proclamation and an incredible statement of intent. And to add in that he was in prison at the time is incredible. So what do I, what, what do I want you to uh, take away from this today? I hope that you can give some thought to the presence of God in your life and to the blessings that surround us here today. The grace and forgiveness that we all receive. And I want you to think about your own presence. Because your presence matters. It's a gift that other people depend on. Be aware of your presence, both physically and mentally. Also, Take some time to think about the presence that this holiday season is meant to celebrate. The sacrifice that God made by sending his son here to earth to atone for all of our unrighteousness. The presence of God will always be with you, even when you want to lie to yourself, even when you want to believe that you don't deserve it. It is with you. And just as Paul said, stand firm in that assurance. 
You have a God in your life that, as Dale really likes to remind us, is madly in love with you. He has a burning desire to have a relationship with you. And don't forget that while you are being tested on your journey, your faith may waver. But you are forgiven for that. And you are made whole. Thank you guys so much for having me here today. Thank you, John. All right. Um, thank you, Aaron. Um, that was cool, wasn't it? Um, you know, uh, we're really blessed in this church. It's just amazing. And thank you for the work you do, and thank you for sharing with us today. You know, as uh, I was thinking about um, these three weeks where we have somebody from our church sharing, um, you know, that I want to pull something out and just kind of, you know, take it with us as an assignment. And, you know, I love the image of presence because, you know, Christmas is about the presence of God in our life, um, that God came here for us. Um, but I, my experience is that um, when we kind of move towards the holidays like we will be doing now, um, one of the first things that happens is, is that life gets kind of crazy and busy, and the important things are the ones that get crowded out. And um, I thought, why don't we make a commitment these next weeks as we approach Christmas to, to make sure that we're present physically, um, spiritually, whether that's in church, whether that's with God in, in, in personal time, whether that's, you know, with family and, and doing devotions, wh whatever it is to you, I would encourage you, um, you know, to, to be present with God um, during this season to reflect upon what this season really is about. Thank you again.